I want to invite you to take your Bible with me now, if you would, and open up to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to congregationally, we're going to read this morning uh, verses 19 through uh, 22. And as we did last week, it's a little bit different. I'm going to read the odd number of verses. I'm going to ask you to read the even number of verses. And we'll read through those uh, handful of verses together. But uh, can I ask you to stand with me for a reading of God's Word? Dean is wondering if anybody needs a Bible. Do you need a Bible this morning? Uh, just slip up your hand so you can follow along. And uh, I think we have the text on the screen. We do. So uh, if you need to read from the text, it's the same version I'm reading from. So once again, I'll take the odd number of verses you take even. Philippians chapter 1, beginning at verse 19, we read. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. For me to live, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Let's pray. Once again, Lord, it's a privilege to approach you and your throne room this morning to recognize we hold uh, the very precious word of God not only in our hands but in our hearts. And as, Lord, we would read these verses this morning, we pray that your spirit would uh, work in that way in which only you can work, Lord. You would cause this ink to be lifted from its page and its truth to hit our hearts and our lives. And we ask you, Lord, to be honored and glorified. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. I have on my heart this morning uh, a desire to talk with you and share with you about deliverance, hope, and expectation. As we've been looking at the Apostle Paul and his um, beginning of the letter to the Christians in Philippi, and, and recognizing historically the situation that he is in there in Rome <clears throat> uh, under house arrest, more than likely Timothy penning these words for him in a response to uh, the offering that he received from Epaphrodites who, who brought the offering for the Christians in Jerusalem and Paul overwhelmed by this, this church's response and growth. And yet, 
in these verses before us, they, are, they remain pregnant with uh, the fact that the Apostle Paul understood deliverance. He understood hope. He understood expectation. And I, I think that in these uh, few short verses there is again a reference to each one of those realities that I would go as far as to say that each one of those realities must exist in the life of every Christian. Must exist. There must be an understanding of deliverance in your personal life. There must be an understanding of expectation and of hope. If you are truly born again this morning and you're watching at home, if you've committed your life to Christ and this is not some Sunday school thing that happened or it's, it's historically back, you know, years and years, years ago, but, but the life of Jesus Christ exists and is living in you, then to know deliverance, expectation and hope is the way that that life is more deeply magnified. These verses touch on those realities multiple times throughout the passage. And we would do well, I think, to see them in it and perhaps endeavor to apply what we see in them to our lives. So before we proceed, let's, let's take a moment to define uh, those three realities. Deliverance, hope, and expectation. Because I'm going to return to these definitions as we work through the verses. I'm going to return to these definitions and see how they are applying in Paul's life and how they may in yours and mine's deliverance. First of all, Webster's gives us three different uh, ways in which deliverance can be defined. Number one, set free. To be delivered or deliverance is to be set free. Secondly, to to hand over to another. To be delivered to. To hand over to another. And thirdly this morning, to bring support and come through an event or a circumstance. To be set free to hand over to another, to bring support and come through. I want to draw your attention to verse 19, the first verse that we read this morning. As the Apostle Paul, he says, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. What is the this? The this, of course, is that he has been delayed from coming to see them. His circumstance has been altered. 
As he explained in verse 12, he said, Brethren, I want you to know that the things have hap- which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. And then he moves forward in verse 19 to say that I want you to know that this, the things that have happened to me, are in, in essence, they will turn out for my deliverance. In other words, for the bringing of support to me as I come through this circumstance in my life. How do you look at altered circumstances and challenge? Do you uh, wake up each morning and go, I know that this difficult thing I'm in the middle of is going to actually turn out for my deliverance. I'm going to be supported in it and I'm going to be brought through it. It is interesting that we have several examples of, of deliverance in Scripture where this, uh, these definitions apply. You remember Jacob back in Genesis as it relates to the deliverance being able to set someone free. Jacob said in Genesis 32, uh, Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother of my children. For you said, and Jacob is talking with God, you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered in multitude. You ever wake up one morning and say, God, I remember you told me that you would be my deliverer, that you would act on my behalf. How bold of Jacob to almost reverently, in reverent arrogance, (laughs) is there such a thing, approach God and say, You said, but does that not make sense this morning? To know what God has said to you enough that you would or I would or we could reverently say, God, you you said that you would meet every need I have according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Do you know the deliverance of God today? Because it's it's important, Christian, that you can point back, no matter what age you are, how long you've been walking with God, it's important for you to be able to point back to a, a time in life, a day on the calendar or a season, and you can say, I know God either set me free, he handed me over to another, he came and brought support and brought me through it. Is that your testimony this morning? It is Paul's. Verse 20, he says, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. According to my earnest expectation and hope, we have 
both of these realities Paul talking about in these verses. You see, let's look at the definition of expectation. Expectation up there is going to say to consider something probable or certain. To consider something as probable or to consider something as certain. An expectation. In Psalm 9, the psalmist writes, For the needy shall not always be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall never, shall not perish forever. In other words, there, uh, the expectation of the poor, their consideration of what is probable and their consideration of what is certain shall not perish. The Apostle Paul here is talking about as he looks backward in his life, again, we're at the end of his journeys. He, he had hoped for a fourth journey, which ultimately landed him in Rome because he appealed to Caesar. And historically, Josephus and others tell us that this is where Paul uh, dies. So he's, he's somewhat looking, as we would say, reverently in, in the rearview mirror that that no matter what happens to me from this point forward, I am certain, I know it's probable, I am certain that what God is going to do, he's going to be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. And so uh, how uh, sad it would be if, if a, a believer, someone who comes to the Lord, decides to kind of live their, their life uh, quietly and, and morally right, um, biblically kind of in line, and, and at the end of their life, they're talked about and their relationship with God, God is magnified in their life by death. But what about God being magnified in our lives by life? When someone looks at you today, when someone talks with you today, when someone sees you struggle today, when someone sees you curious about what's right, what's wrong, when someone hears you discussing about the ongoing plethora of social issues in our, in our media today, and oh my goodness, it's endless. Do they hear Christ? I pray that for me. I know I can kind of drop the bar often, and next thing you know, I'm just kind of wrestling on a fleshly, superficial level, but ultimately 
David writes in Psalm 62, 5, he says, My soul waits silently for God alone, for my expectation is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength. My refuge is in God. Trust in Him at all times, he says, you people. Pour out your heart to him, for God is a refuge for us. Where is your expectation this morning? Are you expecting, probable or certain, government to change how we're going through life right now? Where is your expectation this morning? Are you expecting a family member or relationship to change so that your life can be okay? Excuse me. OCD, sorry. Are we? Is our expectation in something here that that constitutes true joy? If that would only, if I could just, if that person would just. Paul understood that which we are seeking to understand, that which I am endeavoring to know to its fullest, that which each one of us may want and desire to know, which is, for to me is to live. For to me to live is Christ, rather, and to die is gain. To live is Christ. Why? Why for him? Well, we know Paul's testimony, right? Damascus Road, very religious individual. You know, remember back in their day, they did not have this. They didn't have the Bible. They didn't have the New Testament. In fact, the the word of God was on scrolls and it was placed in cubbies and synagogues. And if, if you wanted to read it, you had to go to synagogue. Someone would read it. But they, the, the believer, the Orthodox Jew, and even moving into the New Testament period of time, seeking to, to correlate Old Testament truth with now Jesus the Messiah, they would listen and they would remember what was said. That blew me away as I was reminded of that fact. And so, to live is Christ. Why could he say that? Because on that Damascus road, he died. Every understanding that he had of religious things, of what it meant to be close to God, He tells us in Romans, you know, that which I want to do, I don't do. That which I don't want to do, I do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Is that that not what we should and desire and could ascribe to? You see, this morning, it's, it's more of a 
rather than you know, clean outline and, and here's the points of the text, I, I just want to impart something because deliverance, expectation, and hope need to be on our palate, loved ones, so that we know where they are, what they are, and who they come from. As we read in verse 22, he says, but if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor, yet what I shall choose I cannot tell. Why? Because of his hope. Let's talk about hope for a moment. Definition of hope. Webster gives us two things. One, to want something to happen or be true. Two, to expect with confidence. To have hope is to want something to happen or be true. Or secondly, to expect with confidence. I hope today as we go to a Mother's Day brunch with our daughter and her family that it's going to be a wonderful time. I hope that something will happen. I hope and expect with confidence that the moment I leave this life, I'm going to be catapulted into the presence of Jesus. That's a hope. And when Paul says, well, what I will choose, I, I cannot tell, is because of his, his hope is and was, in fact, in Christ. He knew that that choice really is not his to make. It's whether or not God is going to keep him alive there in Rome and then shuttle him forward again to, to see the Philippian Christians or whether this is actually the end. And I want to talk about some scriptures that, that deal with hope. As Job would say, Job put it this way, where then is my hope? As for my hope, who can see it? Job. 17.15, where then is my hope? As for my hope, who can see it? Question to you this morning. Where is your hope? And as for your hope, who then can see it in you? Years ago, not long, but years ago, I... Many of you are aware, some of you might be new news, but I used to sail uh, a 26-foot McGregor. And 10 years we launched into the sailing adventure, and it's like, wait a minute, I thought you were our pastor. Well, yes, I am, and I chose to take up this thing called sailing. And I learned through many mistakes. Some of you recall the family camp day when my, my boat almost killed kids. I <laughs> slid onto the shore, and I was learning constantly. Uh, it wasn't 26-foot McGregor at that point. but So, you know, learning from a, a, a catamaran to 
a sailboat. I remember clearly uh, a friend and I out in San Francisco Bay in what's called the slot. And there in the slot, uh, the winds are clearly 15 to 25 small craft advisory most every day. Usually they're 25 to 45 knots. And on this particular day, uh, my friend and I had sailed from Berkeley out to uh, Angel Island, and we had landed there, had a quiet lunch, and then in the afternoon decided to sail back to Berkeley. Well, you, you're probably aware that the winds typically come up more so in the afternoon, in the summertime. And so we were coming around Angel Island, and my friend and I, we could barely get any uh, advanced movement. There was not much wind at all, and we were moving along, moving along slow, and he says, man, at this rate, it's going to take us all day to get back. And I said, yeah. I said, but I, I think the wind's coming. It's up there. You could see on the other side of the island, which was acting as a lee, that the, the chop was there. And uh, white caps begin at about 10 to 12 knots. So if they're large white caps, you're usually looking at 15 to 20 knots of wind. And these were large white caps. And we come off of the lee of the island and the sail fills and next thing you know, the, the, the boat's healing this way and we're going along and, and he's like, are we okay? And I said, I hope we are. <laughs> I have a hope to make it to, back to that dock. And we fought it, and we fought it, and we fought it, and, you know, we just kept going along. And he told me later, I don't remember this, but he says, bro, your, your boom was touching the water, which that would be at about, a, you know, that degree. At one point, we decided to, you know, drop sails, turn downwind, pull everything in, and fire up the motor and motor back. I had a hope to reach that dock. I share that as an illustration because a hope is something others can see in you. Something that you and I are to have daily. As Paul expresses, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, He understood in verse 24 that for him to remain, as we read, he says, nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. He understood that him sticking around, even in just writing from Rome, could actually benefit. It would benefit. And here we are, the beneficiaries of him writing this letter to the Philippian Christians, it would be more needful for them. Verse 25, he says, I'm being confident of this. <clears throat> I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. So here, uh, verse 25 and verse 26 deal with 
his expectation. Uh, he continued to expect. What did we say expectation was? Uh, the state of expecting to consider something probable or certain. He expected that he would be able to come to them again. And then he passionately, with loving care of, of that, of only, you know, such a, a spiritual overseer, notice verse 27. He says, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. I see this again as a hope that Paul has. It's a hope that he has for them, the Christians in Philippi, that even though he was the the recipient of of their maturity, their willingness to give to the work of the gospel and to send it uh, from Philippi over to Rome through the hand of Epaphrodites. I mean, this was tangible uh, evidence that this church understood the necessity of continuing the gospel. Not that... Uh, not that giving today in our culture today is necessarily an evidence. We live in a uh, time in which I believe that God, and this isn't, I'm not alone in this belief, I believe that the Lord is seeking to purify his church in these last days. We have gone through decades and even seasons you look back to uh, the tragedies that happened within Roman Catholicism where indulgences, those were things that money's given so that you had a better spiritual place in the church. You know, giving of your funds is not necessarily an evidence that you walk with God at all. But giving of your funds can be an evidence that you understand that what you have, God gave you, and that it's not yours simply to just own and do with what you want to, that all things have been given to us by God, therefore we honor him with the first fruits of our substance. So many of you are uh, so faithful in your giving here. But Paul is, is reconciling this that, okay, I understand they are maturing, I understand they're their evidence of Christ actually at work in their lives. But why would he then therefore write this verse 27? Is because conduct worthy of the gospel, listen, pay attention, conduct worthy of the gospel is an evidence of Christ in you and I. Church attendance won't do it. Hanging out with other Christians won't do it. Your conduct, my conduct, worthy 
of the gospel is evidence of Christ in us. So, so that whether I see you or don't see you, as Paul would say, that I might hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit, one mind. Striving together for the faith of the gospel. Verse 28. And not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that from God. I see this verse as dealing with deliverance, because... As the apostle is seeking to move them forward beyond just uh, their evidenced giving toward the work of the gospel, pressing them more deeply to have a conduct worthy of the gospel, that the com- listen, the combination of those two things would show that they are in no way terrified, do you see it there, by their adversaries. Their evidenced um, Christ in them, their conduct, another evidence of Christ in them, which shows that they are in no way terrified by their adversaries. Who scares you this morning? I have, I have someone in my mind that scares me, but I won't even mention his name. Who scares you this morning? Who do you look at in the world scene or relationally and you're, you, you could be terrified by that person. You could be terrified by that person. Event You could be terrified by the possibility of, of this or that taking place. When, in reality, the way I'm reading this is Paul is saying, know that in your conduct, it shows that there's a higher plane upon which you, O Philippian, are living your life in Christ. And the person that wants to terrify you, the circumstance that wants to terrify you, or even more importantly, the enemy behind that circumstance. Your adversary in mind, the devil, who wants to bring doubt, fear, and confusion into your life when it is seen that you have a conduct worthy of the gospel and evidences in your life that show Christ is in you, to them it is, as Paul says, proof of perdition. It's proof to them that they're, they're headed in the wrong direction eternally. But to you, it is proof of salvation and of that what our salvation is that it is from God. For to you, verse 29 and 30, 
We'll close this out this morning. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to what? Can you say the word with me? Suffer for his name's sake. God took this box and he says, oh boy, I'm going to give him a present. On Christmas, have you ever taken a a gift that's really small and I'm going to fool them? They're going to love this and you get this big box and you wrap it and then you take a smaller box and you wrap it and a smaller box and you wrap it and each time they get to a box they have to, you know, undo the wrapping and the tape and in our household sometimes you hear the words, who taped this? And you're thinking... <laughs> I did, you know, and, and you know they're going down the small, and they get to that small box, and and it's this huge thing, whatever that is in your mind. And I can, I, I don't want to alter at all what Scripture is saying, but if you can sense the heart of your loving Father, who. Who, you know, this big box is like, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. Life with Jesus Christ, and, and I'm going to walk through this life and start to open that big box, and it's another small box, and it's a smaller box, and smaller box. And he says, To you, it's been granted not only to believe in him, but to, and you get down to that small one, in there it says, Welcome to the world of suffering. God help us. God help me to embrace the sufferings that God authors in my life to not kick against them, to not wonder why me, God, but rather to transform that why into a What do you desire to do in my life, God? We here in the West, I I wonder if we know much of the kind of suffering that's taking place in, in India, Africa, places in China. Our dear friend uh, and missionary partner, Aaron Garcia, called us last week. Some of you have met them if you've been here and heard Aaron and Jenna come and talk about their work in uh, Nepal. And for many years, Aaron was a missionary to Nepal, he and his wife Jenna. And then they were over in India launching another Calvary Chapel Bible College as some of those that he had discipled had begun to want to plant church and they saw a need for greater instruction in Scripture and they were uh, full on planting this, this Calvary Chapel Bible College. Students were there. It was moving forward and then all of a sudden, COVID. And we've heard more likely in the news recently about a great number of uh, deaths and kind of the spike of COVID being in India well, Aaron and Jenna came home to have their first baby, Lily, 
And uh, Lily is beautiful and delightful. But while they were here, you know, COVID has been going on through this year, and they were back at their home church, Calvary Chapel West Grove, staying in contact with those that were in Nepal, those that were in India through Zoom. I had just found out last a couple weeks ago that Aaron had been doing a class in the Bible College through Zoom. Well, he called this week to share that Calvary Chapel West Grove has invited him to remain in the States. They've asked him to come on as their missions pastor. The senior pastor retired, stepped down. The uh, previous missions pastor left with the senior. And Aaron and Jenna are planting their roots in the States now. And it, it reminds me of so many times I would listen to what they were going through. You know, when uh, the earthquake hit in Nepal, they had opportunities to, by helicopter, fly in supplies to far-reaching hillsides. And there would be 10, 15 people there and, and hardly no food or anything. And, you know, Gino and I went and, and we had meals every day and we didn't skip a beat. When we, but you think about what some folks do in order to walk with God. That one particular village, families would abandon them if they name of the name of Christ. To you and I, it has been granted to suffer who is ardently against you this morning because you, you walk with Jesus? Embrace it. What hardship do you have because of your love for God? Embrace it. Because that very thing has been granted to you by Almighty God in the same way that He's granted you to believe in his son. Why are you so cast down, O my soul? Why so disquieted within me? David writes in Psalm 42. Hope in God. Let your expectation be in him. And let him be your deliverer today. I ask you, is he your deliverer? Is he your expectation? Is he your hope? Because if not, the reason you're here and we're gathered is because he wants to take that place if it doesn't already exist. And you and I have an opportunity right now to open up the door of our heart and say, Lord, Something like, I know you as Savior, but I need to be set free. I need you to hand me over. I need your support in order to get through this. And, and I was looking in a different direction. If that's you this morning while we worship, you can ask him to do that. He'll do that. If you're watching at home, maybe, maybe that's you right where you're sitting and you're, you're thinking as it relates to an expectation, you're, 
Your expectation is that something probable or certain will happen when in fact there's nothing more probable or certain than the person of Jesus Christ. And our hope, man, our hope is in Him. Will you pray with me? And and whatever you would like the Lord to do, ask Him to do it. Lord, this morning we, we hear the Apostle Paul. We hear this passionate spiritual leader for the Christians in Philippi uh, imparting to them how you have been his deliverer, how you are his expectation, and how you are his hope as he expresses all these things that he, he desires for them. Lord, we hear it. And we pray this morning for each and every one of our, our, our lives, our hearts, that, Lord, these things would be true of us as well. That in whatever way we have not known you as a deliverer, you would become that this very moment. Whatever way you have not been our expectation, you would become that this very moment. And whatever way you have not been our hope, you would become that this very moment. Lord, we ask that you would do it in such a way that we would know it's you. While our heads are bowed and our our hearts are quiet, you're here this morning or watching and you just need to ask him to have a fresh work in your life. I pray that as we worship him and sing, that these truths will be new in your life. There's someone you know that you're praying for right now. Maybe you would just intercede for them and ask, ask these things to be so. For we ask it all in Jesus' name.